Hi, it's Susan Dunlop here and welcome to episode three of Coffee and Contemplation with Women. Um, today we are going to be talking with Ray Richardson. Um, I've known Ray for 20 years uh, from my previous business dealings where I supplied Ray's hospital with nursing staff. Uh, Ray had just become a Don when I met her, a director of nursing of the now Budrum Private and we've been friends ever since. Ray's got four kids, two in their 20s, a teen and a tween, three boys and a princess. Ray uh, started nursing as the old hospital trained nurses and she was in the final year of hospital training um, before it all went to a degree level. Um, and yet she's been recognised through the Telstra Business Women's Awards for her achievement uh, for the change and transformation of the first fully digital hospital in Australia. I think Ray went up there as a general manager for a short time. Uh, Ray's recently resigned from Budrum Private and uh, we're now playing a lot more together and um, coming up with some pretty cool projects, whether it's mosaics or otherwise. And um, yeah, we're trying coffees out across the coast pretty much is how our week rolls now. Um, so Ray, in terms of our um, the decades of life, Ray is 48 young and she is what they would call then a quadragenarian. So welcome, Ray. Thank you, Sue. Yeah. So we're actually meeting face to face, and um, we're before with Lisa and I. Lisa was in Sydney, but you know, Ray's on the coast. So today we were going to have a bit of a play date. So I thought we'd do our our podcast um, sitting in my office. So let's see how we roll. Um, so Ray, so when you were young, did you want to be a nurse when you were young? Uh, no, I wanted to be a hairdresser. So I used to play with my Barbie dolls when I was about seven, eight, and I loved the ones they brought the one out the great big long hair, super long hair down to her knees, and I just thought, you know, that was just the bee's knees until I cut all the hair off because oh. I liked wanting to be a hairdresser. I wanted to cut and play, and I got into serious trouble with that. But then I gave her a hair transplant using my mum's wool and a big sewing needle. Um, but, and she had lovely red hair after that instead of the pretty blonde hair. But um, it's very creative. Um, gave my doll a hair transplant. So. Um, with a, a big needle, so did you actually ever work as a theatre nurse? Or oh, I need my training. I did the, oh. I did the usual 12-week rotation in <laughs> theatre. Uh, really, theatre wasn't my cup of tea. I, I quite liked it, but um, I found my love in emergency nursing. That's um, oh. where I sort of spent two of my rotations there, so. Um, that was the nicest part, I guess, about yeah, being hospital trained. I got to try out a lot of different areas. So. Yeah. Where did you do yeah. your hospital training? Uh, Toowoomba Base Hospital. Oh, okay. You're a Toowoomba girl, aren't you? Toowoomba born and bred, yes. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, okay. When did you come to the coast? Uh, year 2000. Oh, so, well, just after us. Hmm. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. been here, well, call ourselves local now because we've been here and lived here and yeah, but grew up on the coast um, every holidays. We'd come from Toowoomba from when I was about three onwards. Um, we'd come and spend a month holiday somewhere on the coast. So for me, it was like coming home. It's my second home. I was familiar with it and it was just lovely. So it's, oh, it's too cool. nice to, to leave now. We're just so lucky. So. Mm. Oh, wow. Hey, um, just tell me too, just sort of thinking about the hospital training. Like I know when I um, owned the nursing agency, now, I used to hear a lot people would say, oh, we need to go back to that. What, what's your thinking about hospital-trained nurses versus the way, um, obviously, now it's all degree and um, on from there? So when I finished my hospital training, um, I went and did my degree. 
And it was funny because um, some of the lecturers who had trained me at hospital um, were now the lecturers out at university um, teaching the degree. So um, I always thought that was quite funny. But um, I loved my experience as hospital training. I think we got to do um, a lot more and got to see a lot more and experience a lot more um, in healthcare. There were times when we were in lectures and we were in lectures for eight hours a day solid. But the hospital would ring across and say, bring the student nurses over. We've got this type of procedure. You won't ever get to see this much. So we'd actually, and we'd get to then participate and help. Or So we got to see some really interesting, cool stuff. Um, whereas if you're in a university, it's harder for you to see some of that real life stuff happening. Um, I think the university is a lot more structured um, than what we had. Um, there's certainly a lot more hours in the theory side of it now, um, but there's a lot less practical um, hands-on side. So I, I still don't think that nursing as a profession has it correct, has has got it correct. I think they did need to make it a university degree, um, but I still think that there's a, a little way to go to get the balance between the theory and the putting the, that theory into practice right. So um, I'm, I certainly support the, the university training. Mm. Um, I just think our model of training our, um, you know, bringing our, our new nurses in, we need to be um, yeah, giving them a lot more experience and a lot more confidence and making sure that they're confident um, as well as competent when they come into the hospital to work. Yeah, okay. Um, yes, yeah, it's just interesting because it did. It came up so much, and there was all that. You know, the um, the original ENs that um, you know that they had to then become endorsed ENs, mm. um, and then I know you did a lot of work with trying to introduce that type of nursing into your hospital too, mm. didn't you? Yeah, um, yeah. I was there when the transition went from um, when enrolled nurses could actually give um, out medications once they'd done their endorsement, and any sort of change though in a profession. Um, needs a lot of education and support. So it's not just about educating the people, like in that case it was the enrolled nurses, um, learning a new skill and, and, and getting the education to be able to do that. It was also educating the registered nurses to what now is the new scope of an enrolled nurse and how could they help support them um, and how could they help learn from it as, as well. Um, not, you know, it's not just about educating one side, you've got to educate um, both to yeah. actually make a smooth transition um, so that was always a challenge and so as a manager of the people obviously mm. of the um, the director of nursing of a hospital how did you find that worked in terms of um did was it a, um, a battle in, in terms of trying to get the teams to work together when that changed uh, well, there certainly were um, registered nurses who um, didn't like um, the change mm -hmm. um, and were vocal about that and that's fine they they're entitled to their opinions mm. and they're entitled to voice and it always comes down to um, scopes and what they're comfortable with in delegation as a registered nurse. Um, it, it took a little time, but that's okay. That's, you know, no change is going to be, you know, automatic overnight with change or any sort of transformation. It's, um, it is about communicating, it is about educating, it is about working with people and sometimes taking things in smaller steps um, and going gently, gently to make sure that change sticks rather than trying to barge it through and hope 
that everyone just you know jumps on board and otherwise they get rolled over by the trains that are jumping on yeah. the trains. So. But I think that across that whole industry, isn't it, across aged care, community care, the mm. disability support, the hospitals, um, there is a massive amount of change that's happened mm. in that 20 years that you and I have known each other. Oh, um, yeah. And it's just... And, and I don't think that has been fully respected that there's that need for um, just being carefully um, carefully rolling it out, how it's done, rather than it's like, this is a change, this is what you're going to do now. And, and I want it done yesterday. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Why haven't you done it yet? Yeah. Um, I think, look, I'm guilty of it as well. Um, we underestimate how much time it takes to make a change, mm. to make it really well, and we underestimate the amount of communication we need with that and the amount of education we need with that. Yeah. Um, we should be um, – change management requires a huge investment in all of that. So. And that was yeah. just while we um, – just we'll stick on the, the work side of things first just um, before we go on to some of the other questions um, that I thought about asking you. But the, the work you did um, in that change and transformation um, of the fully digital hospital, that was mm. the um, – the hospital up at Maryborough or Harvey, Harvey Bay, Bay. Harvey mm. Bay, and you went up there. You actually got seconded from the coast yep. as general manager to do that. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So how did that um, roll out? Um, that, it was quite exciting. That was um, six months into the hospital um, opening and functioning, and I was asked to go up there and and help them. Um, they were um, struggling a little bit with in the in the change and transformation because they. They had a huge job, um, and I take my hat off to the whole team um, that worked um, around that. And there were a lot of people in in the company that supported them, um, but it was a team effort. And um, really, what I saw when I went up there was a team that had actually achieved a lot, but never stopped to actually celebrate really all the achievements that they've made and the huge changes that they've made. Um, it was complete change to nursing workflow, complete change to the way in which a nurse thinks about her documentation, the way in which a nurse and doctors um, and allied health actually look and find the information they need. So um, they really had their worlds turned upside down. Um, plus, on top of that, they still had to meet all the usual metrics of a private hospital in from a financial side of thing um, as well. So and clinical sides at their clinical standards as well. So um, in recognising that they hadn't stopped to celebrate and they really needed to do that, otherwise they were going to become exhausted mm. with all the change that was happening. They were, they were almost at a point of being exhausted from so much change and so much happening that they they didn't even recognise when they'd achieved something. They just rolled on to the next, what are we going to change now? What are we going to do now? Um, I put in three goals and I called them Mummy Moments. Yeah. For the Mowie heads of department. Oh, Absolutely, oh. Maui is in the, in the champagne. Um, and I wanted to give them a small challenge, a medium-sized challenge or goal, and then a long-term, more long-term sort of goal because I wanted them to see that there's a goal to work towards, not just roll on to the next change, make it a goal, make some parameters around what it looks like, feels like to achieve that, and then stop and celebrate um, and have that pause and reflect back on, I've done a great job, and reward yourself. And in this case, I said to the department heads, um, that it was going to be, um, I'll buy a bottle of Maui out of my own money, my, my shout, yeah. and we are going to stop and we are going to, one whole meeting, instead of talking about the metrics, we actually talked about and celebrated what they'd done well. 
God, over a glass. Yeah. And that kind of then energised them to go to the next mummy moment or the next goal, which was the medium-term one. They kind of went, we can do this and this feels good and, yeah, we're, we're going to get there. And they were just about there just before I left, nine months later. Oh, okay. Um, wow. So I think they celebrated a, a, a week or a month or two later it was. But it was so nice that they had their targets, they knew where they were heading, they had a direction and they had a way of stopping and celebrating. And, yeah, we, we jokingly always talked about the Maui moments and, yeah. Yeah, and that's important because I know in, um, in coaching as part of the um, eventing or setting a goal, you usually actually talk to them about that and say, mm-hmm. you know, what, how will you know you've achieved it? Because if you know you've achieved it, then your mind can go, ah, mm-hmm. I can stop and now I can go on to the next thing. Yeah. And I think, yeah, so that's interesting. It's almost like a mini holiday for your brain. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. Well, good on you. Um, you can bring Moe here anytime if you want to. Oh, do we could do it after this call. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I was going to ask you next then is, um, we'll go to the um, the side of you that we need to find out about. Is what was the naughtiest thing you ever did as a child, and did your mum or dad ever find out? Uh, the naughtiest thing I ever did was actually uh, become a nurse. Um, when I was in high school, Dad had uh, a vision for me and his vision for me was to become an accountant. And I don't know why because I'm not really that fond of maths. I can do it but not, you know, my favourite thing to do. Um, and no, I was going to become an accountant and that was it. And so he chose all my subjects at school and I had to do business studies, accounting, um, legal studies, economics, um, all of those. The only subject I got to choose was art. That was my one and only sort of relief from hardcore business studies and um, right up until the day, the last day we had to put our forms in for Q, the application, it was back when it's called QTAC, oh, yeah. um, I had to write down, he, he had to sign um, business, I was counting, Bachelor of Business Accounting and I went in and changed it with the guidance officer to nursing. Ah. And the only reason why I changed it to nursing was out of the blue, I visited um, my sister's mother-in-law in hospital. My sister and I went off to visit her mother-in-law in hospital and I just sat um, and watched the nurses go about and do their, their duties and I was fascinated by what they were doing and I'd never, ever thought of becoming a nurse. Healthcare had never crossed my mind. There were, but Usually people in healthcare have their aunts um, or family member or mother who've been nurses or worked in healthcare and that's what's led them into healthcare, but I didn't. And, yes, I was very naughty and went in, changed my QTAC forms and um, got into nursing instead. Oh, wow. And what did your dad say? Oh, he, he never let me let it down the whole life. Oh, he was so angry, so, so very angry. Yeah. And um, almost disowned from the family. But um, um, the nicest part about being hospital trained back then is you got the option to live in the nurses quarters. So I left home at 17 and didn't look back really. It was yeah. I. It gave me my independence. It gave me a sense of freedom, and um, I loved it. Yeah, and fell in love with nursing, and fell in love with the variety of things that you can do with with that um, skill set. So, I, I know what that feeling is like, like with the um, sitting there and seeing the nurses and just having that absolute. I don't know. It's like some inner feeling that you've. It's meant to be who you're mm-hmm. going to be, but. With your dad having chosen all your subjects all that time and you being the good girl, how, what, are you the youngest or the...? I was the youngest in the young, family. At mm. the time. So you're the youngest, you did everything that he told you what to do. Mm. 
was you did you feel that you were doing it in a rebellious way or you had some type of calling to I, do I just knew something. I couldn't do accounting I, oh. I just knew that I just couldn't go to university and do that mm. and it was just that sinking feeling you get you just go I can't face that I I did well in accounting, like actually won the subject award in high school for accounting. So it wasn't that I bombed out. I actually did very well. And I think that is what hurt Dad even more, is that I told you, you know, this is what you could be and yet you ignored me and you've gone and done something else. Okay. And, um, yeah, but I just knew that I couldn't do that. And I had no idea what called me into nursing. It was just completely out of the blue, almost a, an out-of-body experience to go in and be naughty and rebel um, and go off and do that. And like I said, it was um, there's some really tough things um, that you go through when you're a nurse. You experience a lot of things that you, um, you, you can't really plan for, like people dying and, you, you know, you're doing procedures on people and sometimes that's not pleasant. And... Um, there's a list as long as your arms. I mean, that people go, oh, to be a nurse, you've got to empty bedpans and all that sort of stuff. You know, they're, they're not great. But there's um, the good things about nursing is what you fall in love with and that's what is the nicest part about it. Yeah. But there's so much. You can. You don't have to work in a hospital. There's so much opportunity um, in healthcare for nurses and in healthcare in general that, you know, it teaches you skills that you can... Um, transfer into other jobs. Yeah. Um, so but even now, I know you're in some little mixing pot of what Renee's going to actually bring into the world in healthcare as well. So yeah, you've stepped out of one role, but it's a step up is yeah. what I sort of see you're taking. Um, in relation to that, so we were talking also about um, you know what's old. You know, you know when people. I remember when I was, I like, say, you know, ten years old, and I look forward to what twenty twenty was. And think, oh, how old am I going to be then? Oh my God! I'm going to be so old. I'm like a nana. What What's your take on that? What What's old to you? Um. All, all I ever wanted to be was 18. So oh. once I got to 18, that's it. You know, I kind of stopped. Yeah. So in my head, I'm still around <laughs> about you know between 18 and 21. Um. It's funny because I don't. Um. I've nursed people from, and, I, and that's really, I've nursed people, and I look at them as people. I don't look at them with a label of, oh, you're an old person or you're a young person. I look at people as that's the individual, that's the human being, that's the, the individual unique spirit that I'm dealing with, that personality. Um, so I don't see, it's I can't describe it, but I just can't see old. What would you say you will think is old for you in terms of, like, you know, I, I see people in their 70s and they've seen their past you know their parents and whatnot have died in that sort of same age bracket so to them they're coming up to that age bracket and going oh this is it like this is this is old mm. yet say my husband this sweet tom you know, he's been working with a 90 something year old couple out on their property she's pushing wheelbarrows like a meter high stacked with logs and she's 90 something and just going for it i think so like what would you see for you like how are you maintain your health and where do you feel you will actually feel old ever? I don't know that I ever want to feel old. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I've often asked um, older people, people who are older than me, about, um, I remember asking them when I was looking after them, 
exactly that same what age do you feel like when you're inside and they invariably say that they feel younger mm. mentally um my dad was 85 he just passed away last month and he in his mind was he was determined he was a stubborn old bugger um he was determined to make it to 100 he wanted the letter from the queen even though i told him the queen wouldn't be around by then it'd be a letter from the king but no he wanted that letter from the queen um and unfortunately his mind was um, as sharp as attack and I think in his mind he was still in his 20s but it was his body that failed him but he didn't see himself as old no. at 85 he still believed he had a good another good 15 years in him and when I looked at him I never saw an old man um, I just saw dad really it wasn't that I saw and you know it was just him yeah no, so, yeah um, so so it's actually that his body gave out on him. His body gave out yeah. on him, yeah. So it's, it's, do you think that might be the reality of it is, when you, A, from your nursing experience and yeah. from life experience, is it that it's when you get to that stage your body is going to fail? Yeah. Yeah. And things do get slower and a bit harder to do, but, you know, your, your brain, um, yeah, it can be still, um, I still feel like, you know, 10 foot tall and bulletproof. Yeah. I do joke with my um, eldest boy that um, we have a family tradition of every 12 years there's a baby born so I'm 12 years younger than my eldest sister um I'm there's a 12 year gap between me and her daughter um there's a 12 year gap between her daughter and my eldest son there's a 12 year gap between my son and my niece's eldest daughter wow. now my niece's eldest daughter is 12 going on 13 and I've just said to my eldest son it's okay to break the family like you know, <laughs> because I'm too young to be a nana. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I can't see myself as a nana at the moment. And I know there's people who are my age who are grand, you know, yeah. grandmothers and grandfathers and that's fine. But for me, I'm like, I'm not ready for that yet. No, actually, no. No, because yeah. you're 21 still. I'm 21. Okay. That's it. We're good. I'm good. Um, what's your earliest memory that you have? I have memories from when I was three. Um, we lived in a little white house um, in a little country town called Drayton, just outside of Toowoomba. And um, I, one of my, my memories that um, has always struck with me every time I see a banana um, is because I, and I can't eat bananas as a result of this memory, is my, I remember mum gave me a, an unripe banana and it was hard and it was sour and she made me eat it. I was crying and crying and I couldn't stomach it and I was trying not to vomit and she made me eat this banana and it was just disgusting. Was that the old, you can't leave the table till you you're finished? You can't leave the table till oh. you're finished, that's it. And you <laughs> will eat, because um, mum and dad had been through their depression so they knew what, how hard it was and mm. um, so they were, no, you... You will eat what you are, what's put in front of you, and uh, even if it is not quite ready to eat. And um, I just cannot stomach bananas to this very day. I just can't do it. <laughs> oh, no. Mm, flashbacks. Um, to, you, you were talking earlier about you, your dad passed away um, just recently last mm -hmm. month at 85. Uh, you lost your mum quite early, though, didn't you? She, yeah, mum, I was only 35 when mum passed away. She was 62. Okay. Um, Had yeah. you had any of your kids i'd had um yeah i had uh caleb and ethan and they were four and three okay yeah, so they've only got very young early memories of mum um as a grandma so yep. yeah as a nana yeah what's your um, your happiest memory with your mum um 
probably when she came down to actually help me with my first baby because um, we all struggle and I think that was also when I finally appreciated um, just what she did for me because I know prior to that I really didn't have an appreciation of my mum and what she had done for me um, growing up and to raise me and when I had this screaming baby that would wake every two hours and want feeding and um, was colicky and crying and I just wasn't getting any sleep and she um, hopped on a bus, travelled 12 hours to where we lived down in New South Wales and stayed with me for a week to try and get Caleb settled mm -hmm. um, and to give me a bit more of a rest and to get me into a routine and that's when I realised, you know, wow, she's actually a pretty phenomenal little powerhouse. So, yeah. 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 She was a country girl, wasn't she? She was. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. What would you say to her now if you had a chance to? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Plain and simple. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, she died of a stroke. Um, strong woman. She actually died. She actually almost died when she had me, um, as a on the operating table, and she was lucky to pull oh, through. Wow. Um, and when she um, had the stroke. Um, all the doctors were saying she's not going to make it, she's not going to make it. She was um, starting to deteriorate. The swelling in her brain was causing her blood pressure to go up and her body to um, start to react in a way that um, usually is quite terminal. Um, but um, she then stabilised all of a sudden and um, she pulled through. Um, she was unconscious but um, the whole time that we were in a room and we were talking to her um, and it just goes to demonstrate that when even when people are unconscious they can hear things because mm. her first words out of her mouth was, where's Abby, which is my niece, her eldest granddaughter. Yeah. Um, Abby had been visiting her two days beforehand um, and had left and her first words were, where's Abby? I want Abby. Where's Abby? Because Abby wasn't there so we had to go and get her. So was, yeah. Oh, wow. She and knew she that she'd been there. And she got to go home, Lady Mum got to go she home. Did. She did. She recovered. The doctor said it was the largest um, stroke in the size of the damage in her brain was the largest stroke that ever rehabilitated. Um, she managed to make it home with a lot of support um, and lived for another 12 months and then passed away after she had another series of strokes after that, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. But um, So in the end it was still was quite sudden and still unexpected and even though... Yeah, we knew it was a possibility that it mm. could happen. Yeah, wow. Mm. Yeah, so I guess you've got another year. Did you get much time mm. with her that year or were you mm. living down the coast? I was living on the coast by that stage but would drive back up quite frequently. Okay. Um, on my days off, I um, would drive up and give Dad a break okay. to stay up there and um, I'd take over the because she was full care, oh. um, shower, feeding, everything, so just to give him a couple of days break. Yeah. Take her to the hairdresser. She loved her hair being done. Um, yeah, little things. Oh, thank you. I was talking earlier about doing your own daughter's hair this morning. Oh, yeah. Obviously not with a darning needle or wool. No. No. <laughs> um, speaking of which, um, what would you, um, what piece of advice would you give your now 10-year-old daughter that you wish you'd been given? Uh, just to believe in yourself and have confidence in yourself. You are enough. Yeah. Um, the, the skills, the tenacity who you are as a, as a woman um, is enough. Yeah. You, can, you can do it. I think as women we often um, undersell ourselves and we're our own worst enemy and we're the ones who don't believe in ourselves. Everyone else 
would believe in us that we can do it, but we're the ones who don't believe in ourselves enough to know that we can do it. Yeah, okay. Well, that's lovely. Um, now, in terms of would you take her on this trip or would, who else would you take? Um, if you could travel to one place in the world and there's no limitations, where is your dream place to travel to? I've always said I wanted to go to Paris. Oh. And kiss under the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> I don't mind if she's there with us watching. No, that's right. She had an ice cream. She had an ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's going to say on the um the. That's the... on the on the things to do. Yeah, oh, okay. I've got a picture on my wall above my desk of the Eiffel Tower, and uh, around it are other pictures of places I've been to. Um, I actually didn't start travelling until much later in life, so I didn't really travel that much early on. Um, so starting to do a little bit here and there now. Um, but the one in the centre is the Eiffel Tower, and that's that's the big goal. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, lovely. I think it was funny when um, you were telling me about your beloved um, that he's got a particular theory on activities of daily living, and um, is kissing one of the activities of daily living. Oh, absolutely. Showing affection. Oh, yes. that's good. Look at that. And it's activity of daily living. As a, as a healthcare professional, it is. It's one of the things that we actually have to assess, and it was funny as a 18-year-old student nurse having to go and ask people about their sexual health, you know, and asking questions. It was mm. like, oh, my God, I never <laughs> thought I'd be doing this. Um, they never told me that. This would be part of the training. But, yeah, that's what you've got to do. Well, and so. how, how much? How many times have your bowels opened today? Oh, that mm. just rolls off a nurse's tongue. So no. <laughs> that was probably an easier one, is it? Oh, just as hard, really. <laughs> just activities of daily living. Oh, gosh. Um, what's your favourite quote that's motivated you um, or kept you going, I suppose, through through a time when, you, when you're getting clutter or other people's clutter come up to um, you? Yeah, my favourite quote um, in that is, not my monkeys, not my circus. It's when I often say it to myself to remind myself that I can't solve everyone's problems. If it's really nothing that I have control over, and I really can't do anything about, don't get involved, let them deal with their issues. Yeah. Um, and it's often better for people to work it out themselves without me meddling in it. Yeah. So, yeah, not my monkeys, not my circus. Um, before we, we're going to wind up soon because it's actually, goodness me, we're actually at 30 minutes. Um, so I'm going to ask you what's your favourite song, but is there anything else that has just sprung up for you at all while we've been talking? I mean, we're going to come back another time because we've got your whole another gamut of ideas that we thought we could actually share maybe in a few months' time. This is only my the second interview, so thank you for being here for our, our nervous run-through. <laughs> strong coffee after this. I know. Yeah, we'll yeah. champagne at lunchtime. We'll champagne. <laughs> um, so, so was there anything else that you wanted to cover? No? Okay, good. You're amazing for doing all of this. <laughs> Oh, you know, it's just a normal day, really, for us. But we'll see how we go. Hey, um, favourite song? Do you have a favourite song or a favourite artist? Yeah, um, my favourite artist is Pete Murray. Um, I, I don't have a favourite song. I, I just, I love lots and lots of different types of music. But um, Pete Murray, his voice is like velvet. Mm -hmm. And I actually got to meet him once. Um, I put him down on my goal board that I wanted to meet him. And um, out of the blue, um, that year... Um, there was a phone call. They wanted to use the hospital as a film set. Oh, wow. And my work colleague knew that I wanted to meet Pete Murray. <laughs> and when she heard that Pete Murray was actually one of the actors, 
um, he was trying his hand at acting and he was going to be there for the scene, she said, we'll do it free of charge as long as my director of nursing gets to meet Pete Murray. <laughs> and so I hung back that night and I got to meet him and I've got a great photo of a lovely cuddle where I've got my arm around him and he's got oh. his arm around me and he's just so gorgeous. <laughs> But his voice is like velvet. It's just yeah, beautiful. So yeah. if you want to chill and just relax, just look up Pete Murray and um, and have a listen to some of his music. It's just remind you of the beach, remind you of just kick back and relax. Mm -hmm. and yeah, yeah, it's nice, isn't it? It's, it's nice to um, to give you space mm -hmm. or yourself space with some really nice music just to just stop at the yeah. end of the day. Or yeah, yeah. Anyway, so that's us. That's us done. So that is episode three and. My quadragenarian Ray Richardson. Um, maybe actually by the time I, um, I'll speak to you before you become the next decade up, because that's a really big word, and we'll stick with quadragenarian for the time being. Thank God I don't have false teeth in your pronunciation. Look, it's been a pleasure, Ray. It always is, anyway. But um, then we'll chat afterwards. And thank you for sharing your story. And I think there's quite a few people I know out there who are nurses, so it's interesting that you shared that side of um, of life for a woman. Too. and your roles as you know from hospital trained up to general manager to now reinventing your mm. life on your terms so yeah. thank you good on you thank you Take.